The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Acts chapter 13. Continuing on our study through the book of Acts, we're at the very end of chapter 13 today, beginning in verse 42. Uh, looking at the subject of the power of the gospel. Last week we talked a little bit about the priority of the gospel. When Paul was given the opportunity to say something uh, in the synagogue, he chose to preach the gospel. That was the most important message he felt he needed to share. So today we're actually going to kind of see a follow-up to last week. We're going to see the response of after he preached what he did last week, what happened? And so I want to just try to think and, and get our focus on what the, the gospel is, what it, uh, what it entails. And what I mean by that is the gospel is not a benign message. You, you know, when you, when you get a test, you have to go get something tested, you know, you're, you're hoping for benign, right? That's, that's always the hope. You, and that, what that means is harmless. Right? Harmless. The gospel is not harmless. The gospel is endowed with the power of God, and what that means is it demands a response. You cannot hear the truth of the gospel and just remain neutral. That's not how it works. You may fool yourself into thinking you hear it and just have no response one way or the other. You're just neutral. But that's not really how it is because... If you hear the truth of the gospel, if you, even if you decide to put off a decision, you have effectively decided. Does that make sense? If you hear the truth and you tell yourself, well, I'm just not ready to respond to that right now. Well, you just responded. By default, a, a no response is a negative response. And so... You, you are either for or against the gospel. You are either for or against Jesus. There, there are only two sides. There is no such thing as, a, as an undecided when it comes to the gospel. Because even if we think we're undecided, at least temporarily, we are decided against. I hope, I hope that makes sense. So the question then is not whether there will be a response. The question is what kind of response will it be? Okay, so when we read the Scripture today, hopefully we'll see that fleshed out uh, in the lives of those who heard that message in Pisidian Antioch that day after Paul and Barnabas had gone to that city on Paul's first missionary journey. So follow with me, if you will, Acts 13, beginning in verse 42. This is what the Bible says. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, talking about going out of the synagogue, remember he had just preached, as Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy 
and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will use your word today speak to our hearts very clearly. Help us to be bold in our obedience. Help us to be strengthened as we hear your word, understand it, and then do what it says. We thank you for this privilege today, Lord, to be gathered and to hear your word and to study it together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here is what we're looking at in this text today. Last week we looked at all the way from verse 13 to verse 41, which is effectively what Paul preached when Paul and Barnabas got to this synagogue. Okay, so they, they showed up. Remember they had gone to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. They'd gone one end to the other. Then they sailed north and they went up to Antioch in Pisidia. And this is where they found the synagogue as they typically do and they began to preach. They heard what was said by the folks in the synagogue, and they were asked to share any word of exhortation they might have. And so Paul stood up, taking the opportunity to preach the gospel, and he laid it out for them. I mean, very historically sound, but very uh, directed in far, as far as uh, Jesus is the Messiah. Remember that one verse we looked at last week that was like the... the the apex of the whole passage, remember Acts 13.30? It's a short verse, but it's so good. God raised him from the dead. It's just like that one verse just uh, it makes you uh, confident in the message. God raised him from the dead, talking about Jesus. So here we see what, uh, or how I should say, how did the people respond? So the first thing we want to see today is that the truth of the gospel compels people. The truth of the gospel compels people. We see in the very first two verses, 42 and 43, Paul had just preached the gospel in the synagogue. Paul and Barnabas were going out of the synagogue, and the people, look what the word says, the people were begging them. Can you imagine that? And, and I'm just going to insert a little side note here. I've just entered my 18th year of pastoral ministry, and I want you to know that very few times in the past 17 years can I remember or recall a few, much less an entire group, begging for more preaching. They were, they were begging to hear the word of the Lord more. They, they were leaving the synagogue and it was broken up and they were begging 
please preach this, please preach more of this to us next week. They, They were begging to hear the gospel. The Bible says that many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes, now what we're talking about there is uh, converts to Judaism. Okay, Because remember at this point, in, in this place, Gentiles were not allowed in, in that inner, inner gathering. So talking about Jews and God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas based on the truth of the gospel. So the fact that Paul was uh, unashamed and confident and bold in his proclamation of the truth about Christ Many of them followed. And so Paul and Barnabas, it says in verse 43, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The truth of the gospel compels people. They they were begging to hear more. Begging, okay? Number two, the truth of the gospel challenges people. Verse 44, look at the response. Now, Now, I want you to understand the backstory here. What had to happen for verse 44 to happen? It says here in verse 44, The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. What had to happen for that to happen? Somebody had to tell somebody. You see what happened? So all in verse 43, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. That means they followed them, but they also told their neighbor. Because it says here that nearly the whole city came to hear the word of the Lord. I'm just saying, that, that's a revival. Nearly the whole city. So I'm going to just foreshadow a little bit. What do you suppose we can expect to happen with the gospel spreading and, and God moving in such a way? There's going to be some opposition, right? It, it always happens. It always happens. So, but you, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Paul and Barnabas had showed up in the synagogue and they preached the gospel. The people were begging to hear more of this message. So they went out and apparently word of mouth spread. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, what does that mean logistically? The synagogue, I'm sure, it's a certain size, has a certain capacity, right? And, and now the, nearly the whole city showed up, right? So you know what that means? This is going to hit so close to home. Somebody's in my seat. Somebody's in my parking place. Right? Let me read, read this quote to you. This is, this, is, this is really good from F.F. F. Bruce. He says, Knowing, as we unfortunately do, how the regular Christian worshipers can sometimes manifest quite an unchristian attitude when they arrive at church on a Sunday morning to find their customary seats occupied by outsiders who've come to hear some popular speaker or to hear the word, we can readily appreciate the annoyance of the Jewish community at finding their synagogue practically taken over by a Gentile audience on this occasion. But there was a further reason for their annoyance. See, these Gentiles were plainly disposed to give a favorable hearing to a message which they themselves, for the most part, found unacceptable. See, Jews, those who were dedicated to Judaism, 
they didn't appreciate this gospel message. So imagine their dismay when not only did they show up the next Sabbath at the synagogue and find a crowd of people they didn't know, not only did they find the crowd of people overrun in the synagogue, they also found that this new crowd of people wanted to hear the word that they didn't want to hear. They wanted to hear the message of Jesus Christ and the Jews didn't want to hear it. So there was a multi-level disturbance among the Jews. But that's what happens when, when the, the truth of Jesus starts becoming the conversation and people start telling people and people are, are interested more and more in hearing about Jesus so they show up to hear it. And they can't comprehend why folks who are there every single week don't want to hear it the way they want to hear it. Does that make sense? These folks were excited to hear the gospel. So what's the danger? What's the danger for us? This is a personal application. What's the danger against which we should guard ourselves? Has the gathering or the singing or the praying or the preaching or the giving or any of it, has any of this become routine? Has it become, why are you going to church this week? Well, that's just what we do. We go to church. Has it become, um, I'm going to check my list off. This is what I do on Sunday. Or is it still, man, I can't wait to hear the Word of God. Man, I can't wait to gather with my church family and sing praises to Jesus. I, it's such a privilege to be able to come and bring a gift to the altar and put it in the offering to support the work of the ministry of the gospel in this community. I, I can't believe I get to do this. This is such a blessing. How, how far have some churches drifted when that's not the attitude anymore? Now it's just, well, i got to go to church. No, thank God, I get to go to church. What a privilege. You know how many people on this planet in other countries would, would, would and, and weekly risk, they would die to be able to gather freely to hear the Word of God, to sing praises out loud to Jesus. My brother-in-law, who's a pastor in Newberry now, he and my sister and their four kids were missionaries in East Asia, or Asia. And they would tell stories. Underground church. Can't even sing the songs out loud for fear of discovery like whispering or mouthing the words to songs of praise to, to Christ because they, didn't want, any, they wanted, didn't want to draw too much attention. They, they were gathered, but they didn't want to draw attention from the government and bring persecution on it. So they, they couldn't even speak out loud. And, and you, you see the comparison? This is a blessing. It's a privilege should be a joy. So nearly the whole city came to hear the gospel the following Sabbath day, but, this, this happens twice in this passage, 
Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, it didn't say they were angry. It said they were jealous. They were jealous when they saw the crowd. So here's what they did. They started trying to contradict what Paul was preaching. They were blaspheming Paul, Barnabas, and the message itself, blaspheming Jesus. But Paul and Barnabas were undeterred because they offered a bold response. It says, here's what, how they responded to this nonsense from the Jews, this opposition. He says, it was necessary to preach the gospel to the Jews first. Because Israel, right, that was the people of God. That was, Jesus came, do you remember? John 1, I believe it's John 1, 12. Jesus came into his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the power to become sons of God, children of God. The, the message came to the Jews first. But Paul said, the Jews rejected the gospel. Now surely some, clearly some, accepted the message and followed them. But the, the Jewish leadership as a whole rejected the gospel and rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So Paul says, since you have rejected the message, rejected the gospel, you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Can you imagine? Judging yourself unworthy of eternal life. So Paul and Barnabas are now taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And here he quotes Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. He says, it is... Uh, it, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant. I'm reading from Isaiah 49. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That, that was prophesied by Isaiah 750 years before Jesus was even born. The gospel is going to the ends of the earth. The message of the Messiah of God, Jesus Christ, is going to be taken to the ends of the earth. The truth of the gospel challenges people. The opposition of the Jews was profound. Now, number three. The truth of the gospel cheers people. You ever need cheering up? You ever discouraged? You need something positive to change your attitude? You need to be cheered up. The gospel and its truth cheers you. It says here in verse 48, the Gentiles rejoiced and glorified God when they heard the response of Paul and Barnabas. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a, a part of a people who have been excluded from the promises of God for so long. Judaism. Jewish people. Gentiles without God. Excluded from the people of God. Now the gospel comes, the message of Christ to the ends of the earth, and Paul and Barnabas say explicitly, you repudiate this message, you reject the gospel, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, so we're turning to the Gentiles. Because, not just, not just because, hey, we, uh, we're not doing too well here, our audience isn't really uh, tracking with us, so we're going to go find another venue. That's not what he says. 
He quotes Isaiah 49, 6 and says, this is a, he says, we were commanded. See that? We were, we're commanded to go to the Gentiles. And he quotes Isaiah. And then the Gentiles who are in attendance hear, what, this, this, is, this is for us too? This hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory, I can have some of that? Can you imagine the Gentile crowd? They're, they're about to throw a party. They can't believe this exclusive message that was only for the Jewish people. Now it's open to everyone. Everyone. And so the Gentiles are rejoicing, glorifying God when they heard this response. And then a, a peculiar little phrase happens at the end of verse 48. And it says this, As many as had been appointed to eternal life believe. Now, let me just, you, can, you don't have to say it out loud, just kind of facial expression or nod. Does that cause anybody a little heartburn? That little phrase right there? Because we could talk about it for the next four or five hours and probably still, you know, have some heartburn. Everybody okay? L let me talk about that, that verse a little bit. Because that is a potentially uh, confusing verse. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And I've got several different comments on this from different folks, different scholars. So many of them believe the gospel. All, in fact, this is F.F. F. Bruce, um, who I read from earlier. All, in fact, who had been enrolled for eternal life in the records of heaven. For this appears to be the sense of the words here used. And the Greek form here, it's a participle, which is a, a kind of verb, uh, is from this, uh, this word, uh, it's, uh, let's see, what is it, tasso, I think is the verb, and it actually means there's, there's evidence in the papyrus, which is the old ancient um, script, evidence for, this, for the use of this verb in the sense of inscribe or enroll, that word enroll, okay? So then I, Howard Marshall, who's another uh, New Testament scholar, he says, the phrase indicates that not all the Gentiles in the town believed. It could be taken in the sense that God had predestined certain of them to believe. It could also refer to those who had already put their trust in God in accordance with the Old Testament revelation of His grace and were enrolled in His people. Or perhaps it means that the Gentiles believed by virtue of the fact that God's plan of salvation now included them. But whatever the pr precise nuance of the words, there is no suggestion, now listen to this very carefully, there is no suggestion that they received eternal life independently of their own act of conscious faith. You, you know what that means? Let me, let me try to explain that to you because I found that to be very helpful. Here, here's what it means. God... The God we worship, Jesus, He is sovereign over all creation. The Bible teaches that plainly. God is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing. He is an almighty God by definition. Okay? If He weren't, He would not be God, and He certainly would not be worthy of worship. So He is sovereign over all creation. And, and here's what else. As it pertains to salvation, God moves on the hearts of people and and. Uh, softens our hearts, makes us 
conscious of our sin and convicts us of sin and shows us our need for a Savior. Right? The Bible teaches that clearly over and over. And you know what else the Bible teaches? What, how do we start this? The gospel demands a response. We have to receive, we have to accept the gospel message and, and uh, uh, appropriate it, so to speak. Jesus has done everything, everything necessary for our salvation. But it requires our faith, our belief. What, what does John 3.16 tell us? God loved the world in this way. He, he, he loved us just so. He loved us this way. He gave His only begotten Son. That what? Whoever does what? Believes. Whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. You've got to believe. Okay? This is not a, uh, an independent, hey, God's sitting up in heaven. You're saved, you're not. You're saved, you're not. You're saved. That's, not how, that's not how this works. The Bible says you have to believe in Jesus Christ so you will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what's going on here. God so moved in the hearts of these Gentiles that every one of them who believed was saved. Does that make sense? I'm, try, I'm, trying, to make this not, I'm trying to make this not confusing. Okay? Because it can be. The one, one I love the, the most is uh, A.T. Robertson. He is a Greek scholar uh, of, of old. A.T. Robertson. And he, he says this way. He says, This verse does not solve that age-old problem of divine sovereignty and human free will. There is no evidence that Luke had in mind an absolute decree of salvation. Paul had shown that God's plan extended to and included Gentiles. And certainly the Spirit of God does move upon the human heart to which some respond, as here, while others push Him away got to believe that all those who believe in Christ will not perish but have eternal life. Believe. And, and that's what happened here. Gentiles who had been excluded from the gospel message heard the gospel realized it now was available to them so they rejoiced and glorified God. And many of them believed and were saved. And look at the result. Look at verse 49. This is so beautiful. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. You know what that means? All these freshly saved Gentiles who heard the gospel and believed in Jesus, they started telling people. <laughs> they, they, they were evangelistic immediately. You, you know who has the most passion and the most willingness to share the gospel is somebody who just got saved. Now, another bit of personal application. Why is that? It shouldn't only be that way. It should be that way, but it shouldn't only be that way. If you've been saved for ten minutes, or you've been saved for ten years, you ought to have equal enthusiasm about the gospel. If we're not still, 
you know, I, I pray, I pray we never get over it. Don't get over your salvation. Don't get over the fact that God miraculously snatched you out of a fire. Somebody should have said amen right there. I'm just telling you. It's a miracle. Every time God saves somebody, it's a miracle. We, we, should, never, we should never get to a point where it's just, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. God saved me. I mean, good gracious. This is, this is uh, earth-shattering news. Jesus saved you from your sin. He saved you from certain death and eternity separated from Him in hell. And He transferred you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. I pray we never get over it when we're not willing to talk about it. The Gentiles heard they began rejoicing, glorifying God, uh, glorifying the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord kept spreading through the whole region. And here it is again, verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district, out of their area. So here's what Paul and Barnabas did. Verse 51 as a sign, they shook the dust off their feet. You know, that, that's a, a gospel image. When, when Jesus sent out the 72, he said, hey, if you, if you find a uh, reception in, this, in these cities, great. If you don't, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next one. They, if, you, if they judge themselves unworthy of the message, there are plenty more who will receive the message. By the way, this is why we tell everybody. This is why our evangelism is not limited or selective. We tell everybody because somebody's getting saved. You know? Somebody, somebody's getting saved. That's how Revelation 5 and 7 is going to be fulfilled when around the throne there are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people who have been purchased by God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you tell, tell everybody somebody's getting saved. It's a promise of God. So Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet in protest against them, and they went to Iconium, another city. This is about 90 miles uh, east, southeast of where they were. And they don't ever go on a short walk, do they? Man, they just go, they go a long way, 90 miles. East to Iconium. What's the result? What, what's the result here? Those who had received the gospel and believed in Jesus. Look at verse 52. Because it's talking about the disciples. Those are those who have believed, followed Jesus. They were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So here's our um, closing uh, application and our uh, personal knowledge and, and challenge. We know the gospel. We've heard the gospel. We know who Jesus is. We know the gospel demands a response, positive or negative. And each of those responses carry with it certain uh, ramifications. So what is our response? And I, I, I ask that question somewhat rhetorically, but I want to just say it this way. 
what is your response to the gospel? And not just on an intellectual level. What is your response to the gospel? And, and here's what I mean by that. If I ask ten of your closest friends, hey, what's their response to the gospel? What would they tell me? How would those closest to you who know you, who have observed your life, how would they tell me you have responded to the gospel? See, see you can't ask me. You can. Uh, you can. Uh, how, how, do, how have you responded to the gospel? You can ask me that. But what you'll get from me is hopefully an honest answer, but I cannot, uh, it's not within my ability to be 100% objective. None of us, we can't do that. Because that's just who we are. Even if we don't mean to, we are going to be biased toward ourselves, even though we try not to be. So... You can ask me how I've responded, but I want to know how would your friends tell me you responded? How would my friends tell you I've responded to the gospel? What would people say about me and my life, my behavior, my speech, who I am? What would they tell you about how I've responded to the gospel? Has it made any difference in my life? Because that's, that's the real barometer here. That's the real way that we can determine how we've responded to the gospel. Ask the people who know me how I've responded. Does it look like I'm following Jesus? Do, do my friends tell me uh, or would they tell you about me? I'm going to use my, my mother-in-law who is with Jesus now. I'm going to use her as an example because I can't think of a better one. There's not a better one. Here's what we heard at her funeral service nearly two years ago over and over from honest observations of all her friends. Here's the message. Ready? Well, if she's not in heaven, none of us have a chance. Because that's her reputation. That's who she was. If, if, she, if, if her life, if her behavior, her words, her personality, if she's not with Jesus, then we're all done for. Because that's what it looked like to follow Jesus. So, no pressure. Right? How, do, how would that question be answered for me, for you? What will... What will people say about us? Will, will they have a, a reason to say, boy, <laughs> they definitely followed Jesus. They definitely were changed by the gospel. They're, I mean, just look. Right? That's how we tell. So I'll ask one more time. This is, for us to consider, how have I responded to the gospel? What difference has it made? So what difference will it make as I share it with someone else? Let's pray.
thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org. 